Clayco is a proud sponsor of Build St. Louis. At Clayco, it's been their culture from the very beginning to do more than just build, to create, to innovate, and to do so with a holistic, intelligent balance of art and science that's unmatched anywhere. Clayco understands that it's not about the walls they plan and the buildings they put up. It's about the people and their purpose within them every day. Clayco builds for a cure, for a scientific breakthrough, for a family that's safe and healthy, for a cleaner world, and for a better future. Clayco is a full-service turnkey real estate, architecture, engineering, design building construction firm. Clayco delivers clients across North America the highest quality solutions on time, on budget, and above and beyond expectations. Welcome to Build St. Louis, the region's new podcast that captures and shares the very heartbeat of construction and development. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, owner of Information Works, and in this episode, we're delighted to welcome Mary Laney, Executive Vice President of Multimodal Enterprises at Bi-State Development. One of Mary's top responsibilities is leading the St. Louis Regional Freightway. And certainly, Mary, it sounds as if developing public-private partnerships to optimize the region's freight transportation network and creating the foundation to advance the St. Louis region as a national freight hub are just some of your roles. We're delighted to have you here today. And I know I've personally had the privilege of working with you for more than 20 years, believe it or not, through your tenure at IDOT as well. So thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Carrie, for the opportunity. We're always ready to talk about infrastructure investment in the St. Louis region. Absolutely. Well, to that end, I wonder if we could start a little more high level to just speak to the factors that are influencing a very, very busy freight corridor, certainly in and around St. Louis to Kansas City and elsewhere. If you could kind of talk to just the volume in general and, and what we're seeing, and I'm sure that drives the need for keeping up and expanding our infrastructure. Yeah, so for Interstate 70, it's one of the state's primary manufacturing corridors, and manufacturing logistics companies are really dependent on efficient, reliable, and safe transportation through the different networks that are feeding into Interstate 70. So some of those freight generators can be barge terminal facilities, like in the downtown St. Louis area, as you're driving over Interstate 70, the Stan Museo Veterans Memorial Bridge, or the Poplar Street Bridge, you can see those barge terminals as you're crossing the river, but you can see that infrastructure in place that's allowing commodities to be moved from barge to rail or barge to truck. And those trucks are typically then traveling on the interstate system like Interstate 70. If you think about St. Louis International Lambert Airport, they had their air cargo facility. The airport is obviously in very close proximity of Interstate 70, and that's one of the reasons why that airport has done so well was slowly growing that business for air cargo. We have the industrial real estate sites that are located all along Interstate 70, not just in the St. Louis area, but obviously through the entire state of Missouri. Some of the ones that come to mind, like in Wentzville, there's the I-70, I-64 real estate sites, there's the interstate commerce sites, and those are some of the fastest growing industrial sites that we have in the area. And then there's the rail component. Norfolk Southern has an intermodal yard, the Luther Yard, that is in close proximity to Interstate 70. And the reasons why those intermodal yards are so close to Interstate 70, because that containerized cargo gets moved from a train to a truck or vice versa. So those are just, you know, some of the quick examples of freight generators. And then as you know, for our region, we've had a lot of recent announcements as far as different companies announcing that they're coming to the state of Missouri 
And there's a reason that they pick those locations. Like American Food Group is announced at their meat processing facility in Forestdale, Missouri, and it's in close proximity of the interstate system. So that's an example of where it is a future freight generator. It picked the state of Missouri and that location because of Interstate 70. And the other one I should have mentioned is when we talked about Norfolk Southern, but also the General Motors automotive facility on Interstate 70. Norfolk Southern has a facility there, but again, it's that intermodal connectivity of having all those modes operate. So those are some of the examples of freight generators that we have right now, but also there's those opportunities for growth that we continue to hear those announcements. And again, when a manufacturing, you know, picks an expansion location or they're relocating to an area, they have that expectation of having reliable, safe, and efficient transportation. Wow, that was a great overview of the magnitude of what St. Louis offers manufacturing in terms of, you know, just corridors themselves. When you were speaking, Mary, I thought, well, that just underscores the motivation for Missouri Governor Mike Parson to urge the legislature to invest in upgrading this 313-mile stretch of I-70 between St. Louis and Kansas City. And it seems like, I think it's $859 million in funding for what he senses needs to be done. And I wondered if you feel like, based on what you know, day in and day out, if that makes sense, that we need to be pushing to upgrade that corridor. So we were really excited when Governor Person had made that announcement in late January. The governor's office, along with MoDOT, they basically have identified seven segments of Interstate 70. And for each segment, they've identified, you know, funds that are available and the unfunded portion. When Governor Person made that announcement in January, he basically announced that there are three segments that are high priorities, that he wants to create placeholders for funding. And for the St. Louis area, our section is the St. Louis suburban section from Warrington to Wentzville. It's a 20-mile section. And obviously, they picked that location because it has very high volumes of traffic. It's about 82,000 vehicles per day. And then again, that's right in that corridor that we talked about that are supporting those freight generators and then those industrial real estate sites. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Totally makes a lot of sense to me. Are there other sort of critical, in addition to what you mentioned, the 20-mile stretch from Warrington to Wentzville, are there other, not necessarily I-70, but critical freight transportation arteries in the St. Louis region that the St. Louis Regional Freightway is prioritizing at this point? Yeah. So another one of our highest priority projects is Interstate 270. And that segment starts on the Missouri side from Interstate 70 to Illinois 157 on the Illinois side. And similar to Interstate 70, when you're funding these mega projects, it's really difficult to walk into an elected leader and say, I need $2 billion. Typically, the strategy is that you start identifying segments of that corridor and then focus on funding a project. So for the Interstate 270, that model was utilized by the Missouri and the Illinois Department of Transportation. MoDOT currently under construction is their design build from the James S. McDonald Boulevard to Bell Fountain Road. $278 million. I got to put a plug in for MoDOT on that because that is a really very significant dollar amount. And in the past, you would probably try and break that up in many different contracts. And it could take 15 to 20 years to build that. That is a significant inconvenience to the freight industry when you're having all those lane closures, construction. And then the other part is if you are in need of a capacity improvement and it takes you another 10 to 15 years to have that benefit. So kudos to MoDOT. They were able to to secure a $278 million section for adding lanes to that section up to 70 and improving the pavement. 
The big news we have is, and this is again that bi-state regional effort, and that's where construction of the new I-270 Chain of Rocks Mississippi River Bridge has started construction this winter. That's a $496 million project. And again, that's one of those projects I feel like almost kind of went under the radar. That's a really big deal. The fact that the two DOTs put that funding together, I've mentioned this in the past, where it's really difficult to get DOTs to have funding at the same time. One DOT may have a big capital program and the other one doesn't. And so then asking two DOTs to come up with those dollar amounts at the same time is really difficult. That's where with a lot of the work our Freight Development Committee did as far as creating that as a priority and having public-private sector recognize the importance. MoDOT IDOT found the, the funds for that project. It's currently under construction. It's also interesting, based on that dollar amount and in the environment that we're in right now, as far as the cost to do business, that river bridge, $496 million, is actually the most expensive Mississippi River bridge that's under construction between the two states over the Mississippi River. Wow, I did not realize that. You know, and as you're speaking, Mary, about how state departments of transportation do these funding programs and in years and phases, I would think that with inflation, as always, but especially now and with the supply chain still being difficult and choked off, that being able to schedule these and make them happen, like you said, not only to relieve congestion mitigation, but to just get the materials and get the project done because it would be hard to budget for five or seven years right now or five or seven days. Yeah, it's hard. So that's where when the governor announced the I-70 projects, you know, we look at that number, the $859 million, it's a placeholder. It's a good start. Obviously, MoDOT doesn't have a well-defined scope, but that's how these mega projects take place. But even in the current day, when you have a very defined scope, a defined set of final plans in this environment, there are a lot of fluctuations and that's where the DOTs use different indices. But there's some things you can't predict six to 12 months outside. I mean, just like what we've experienced with supply chain disruptions. We didn't anticipate that the pandemic, you can never anticipate, say, a drought or flooding on the Mississippi River. And say for the Merchants Rail Bridge that was completed last fall, if they are barging the trusses for a major river bridge up and down the river and you're having those types of disruptions, it's hard to try and build that into your cost estimate. Oh, certainly, certainly. In those projects, boy, I'm thinking way back to when I got to interview you about the what is now known as the Stan Musial Veterans Memorial Bridge. But I think back to that and about, you know, really innovative leaders and Congressman Jerry Costello and those who got Missouri and Illinois to come together on the funding and also the federal funding. And I'm wondering, where does the federal funding, I'm sure it's different for every project, but you were talking about the costs of projects. Is there a standard federal match with bridges or roads or highways, or where's the federal funding? And is that totally different than the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act funding? So each project's a little different, just depending, you know, if there is a special program out there, like the Jobs Act, that you could secure funding. Typically for federally funded projects, that the max that you could receive would be about 80% funding, and then you have a 20% match. And that 20% match would typically be a DOT, there are improvement projects on Interstate 70 in St. Charles County where actually you have that community helping pay part of that match. Sure. No, that makes sense. Thank you for reminding me of that. You know, you mentioned public-private partnerships, and I wonder if there's any other innovative ones you would want to mention that the St. Louis Regional Freightway is engaged in that we haven't talked about so far today, because it seems like that's as you mentioned wisely, that's what it's going to take to get some of these, the Chicago Tollway System and other huge projects in Southern Illinois done as well. 
Yeah, and I'm going to focus on a public-private partnership that actually doesn't involve the financial component. And that's where I'd mentioned our freight development committee that consists of industry leaders representing all the modes of transportation, the trucking, the rail, the barge, or air. We've got manufacturing logistics companies all working collectively together. What makes that really unique is that they meet several times throughout the year, but we have both MoDOT and IDOT and East-West Gateway, who is our metropolitan planning organization. And that's where we have these planning sessions where we're identifying what are our infrastructure priorities from a private sector perspective. That's actually pretty unique. The group comes up with their own criteria. That criteria really focuses on, again, safety, efficiency, reliability, economic development, and then the modal efficiency. And then each year that list goes to the Metropolitan Planning Organization for their approval. So in other words, this is a great example of where it is by state regionalism. The elected leaders from both sides of the river are endorsing that list of projects. And so really that list of projects, you know, represent companies, the trucking industry, the class one carriers. And they're basically saying in order for them to be efficient in moving freight through this area and through the nation, these are the projects why that we need to focus on. I think if we would have put that list together 10 years ago, you would have continued to focus on projects like Interstate 70 and 270. But now one of our number one infrastructure projects was the Merchants Rail Bridge. And that's where that thought process has really changed. And what's changed is it's the multimodal component, the importance of having that connectivity that allows a smooth transition from one mode to the other and having that infrastructure in place. That's one of the reasons why the St. Louis region we are considered one of the go-to locations as a reliever during supply chain disruptions. So whether it's a global pandemic, if there's severe weather, or if there's other some type of fluctuation in energy costs or in transportation, we have that available capacity that makes it really easy for shippers to send it through the St. Louis area. That's great to know. And certainly, I think it's wonderful that public agencies are actively listening to the private sector because I imagine it's hard to amass that much funding to do something. And you want to make sure it meets the needs of people who are going to invest along the corridor for their manufacturing facilities and others. That's great. You know, I wondered a little bit about, we didn't have it on our list of questions, but I'm thinking through some of the public projects, not so much um, infrastructure, but America's Center in Convention Center Expansion in St. Louis, where they were really struggling to get bidders. And I talked to a few folks in the industry as to why that was. And they were, you know, contractors were mentioning that they've got still such a great demand for work, not really enough workforce. And so sometimes the you know factors that lead to the way those projects are let by law, they just aren't as attractive right now um, to bid on. And I wondered if you have any thought, I guess, just big picture on, is there a way to maybe deliver some of those projects differently so it's not hard bid? I, one contractor I talked to said he bid on that and didn't get it. And now his entire bid information is public. And he's debating going after a project the second round when everybody knows exactly what his proprietary information is. And I just wondered, and that's a rambling question, but in general, if there's any flexibility in project delivery to make sure that you get the best and the brightest project partners working on these jobs. So Carrie, that example you gave, I mean, that's a tough situation. And and I think the answer to all of this is it's just a difficult climate that we're in. No one anticipates those things are going to happen. I, I think a lot of times, sometimes it's a workforce issue. Sometimes if there's so much work out there and we're having these supply chain disruptions and you can't deliver the jobs in the time limit that you originally agreed to, then that makes it even more difficult as far as the contractors to continue to seek new projects. You know, sometimes if you already have a couple of projects on the book, 
books, you want to follow through and deliver them. And those projects aren't happening in the window of time you thought. And that may be a reason why you choose, you know, not to go after some of the other projects. The other thing is you got to be creative in this environment. You know, sometimes I, I know with the DOTs, sometimes you lump these projects up and have these mega projects. It's similar to what I mentioned about that contract on 270. Another project that is funded is a big design build project on Interstate 55 in Jefferson County. And so that has a very substantial dollar amount to it. So that's an example of depending on the market and a strategy to try and expedite a construction schedule, you could consider these different tools out there. Sometimes maybe it's an option if you break the project up in lots of itty bitty or smaller contracts, because maybe that makes it easier for your local contracting community to be part of it. So I don't know if there's a right answer. I think that the answer is it's a tough climate. And as long as you've got a group that keeps learning from their examples or trained, and it's hard to predict what the future is, as far as just trying to put projects together, that it's a win-win for both parties, both for the client or the customer, and then trying to put a contract together that works for the environment that the contractors are working in. Well said. I cannot imagine being a contractor these days or a public agency with all the usual variables plus 15, 16 other ones that they normally don't have to contend with. So it's impressive to me how these projects, especially the huge I-270 project, how they just move along. And, you know, when people are using their occupants, using the portions of the project, it's not that they are constructing a warehouse in the middle of nowhere that's empty. It's infrastructure people are depending on that they have to keep open while they're adding capacity. It's amazing to me. Yep. And, and that's another example of where MoDOT and IDOT are being creative with the construction of that 270 bridge. And that's where they are building two bridges. So the first bridge will be built south of the existing one. And then once the south bridge is completed, they'll switch traffic over and then demolish the existing bridge and then build the companion bridge next to it. So that's where I think the DOTs are hoping that, you know, there's going to be minimal inconvenience to the public. But obviously, when they have the ribbon cutting, they will then be adding some capacity and make it much safer. Exactly. Well, in this episode, we've been delighted to learn from Mary Lamy, Executive Vice President of Multimodal Enterprises at Bi-State Development. And Mary, I just thank you so much for your time and expertise and for being our advocate and your team, an advocate for transportation improvements and for just keeping up with the capacities of being a gateway city. For sure, that can't be a small task. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we didn't cover today or... No, I appreciate the opportunity. And I think the takeaway on this is we've got a proven track record with infrastructure that really has well positioned ourselves for supply chain disruptions, whether supply chain disruptions we're facing right now and in the future. Well, Mary Lamy, thank you for joining us today on Build St. Louis. And I look forward to sharing this episode with our listeners. Barbara Murphy is one of the top commercial real estate brokerage firms in the Southern Illinois and St. Louis region. With more than 500 active listings, it's the go-to firm for anyone seeking to buy, sell, lease, or invest. With a unique transactional focus, Barbara Murphy offers you a conflict-free experience as your trusted advisor. Contact Barbara Murphy today at barbaramurphy.com for expertise and assistance with your next real estate transaction.